We as humans have an innate desire for religion. We have a need for God. And as everything else in our society seems to crumble away that people used to use as their God, you had actual religion that people had. You had drug, sex, and rock and roll. Well, all of these things are being stripped away. And young people are left with very few answers, I think, these days. Good morning, Idaho. Welcome to the Local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. For those tuning in for the first time, we like to have a little banter before we get into the stories, but I understand if you're short on time, you can skip the banter and jump straight to the stories using the timestamp that's in the description. For those of you that stayed with us, glad to have you with us today for the banter. This specific banter is going to be a little bit more laid back. And speaking of laid back, I have John co-hosting with me again tonight. I am here and I am typically laid back. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> all depends on what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I think one of the stories we're going to be going over is DEI. Nice. It, it's going to be fun. It's going to be real fun to talk about. <laughs> that is a that's a that's a big thing in the news these days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we didn't keep it and I had some actually some people comment to me in person about it, but John and me definitely had a chuckle on the Satanists lawsuit being dismissed. <laughs> yeah, I uh I remember I remember that one. That was a that was a fun story. <laughs> you know, you have a religious right to have an abortion. That that that's part of a religious expression in this country, right, John? Well, I mean, I do. I don't know about you. Like that's that's just a that's a that's a normal thing. That's how I sanctify my children. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> uh... We're off to a wonderful start here. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess speaking of more local things, I didn't have a lot to share this week, but I did go out to the countryside, me and the grandparents and my sister on Thursday, specifically number one. And I'm surprised <laughs> my grandma asked me, she's like, do you, have you talked about this place on the podcast? I'm like, no, I haven't. That is, I, I, this is not good. <laughs> I've committed a crime um, <laughs> that in uh, Caldwell, uh, there's a Mexican restaurant there called Acapulco. Oh my goodness, it is my favorite place to get like authentic Mexican in the state. It is so, so good and the service is great. I I have a special place in my heart for Mexican or Tex-Mex type food. I do have to admit that my go-to if I'm if I have a hankering for Mexican food, my go-to is uh Los Betos. <laughs> Okay, where's that, is, that at? In town? That is that is my go-to. So it's a it's a fast it's a fast food chain, oh. um, and they're they're all over the place, and they they do some of the best Mexican food I've ever had. Really, it's great. Oh yeah, it's wonderful. Their burritos are are fantastic. Their meat's really good. Um, their portions are good. Yeah, really good, really good. Don't, don't start us on the burrito topic again. That that was a <laughs> hey. They do burritos that are like your, you know, other times of day other than breakfast burritos, and they're, <laughs> and they're fantastic. I actually have not had any of their breakfast burritos because I like their other burritos so much. Um, That's fair. They have an they have an Idaho burrito that has, uh, I think it's a carne asada and, oh, I don't know, beans and cheese and sour cream, but then they put french fries in there. And so that's uh -huh. kind of cool. Hmm. And then they have a California burrito where they have guacamole in there. Yeah, they're really good. Really, really good. 
Nice. Yes, I, I, I'll have to check it out then. I, yeah, no, looking at it, I think I went there once. Granted, I wasn't <laughs> particularly hungry, so that may have uh, tainted the experience. But then again, who knows? I am not a Mexican at all, so I, I can't sit there and say I know how it's supposed to be. Now, if you sit there and argue with me how fried okra should be, then uh, I can I can stand on that. <laughs> well, the great thing with Beto's is it's it's not, I don't know, it's not like fancified Mexican food. It's food truck Mexican food, like maybe a step up from food truck Mexican food. Okay. And and I I, I can get down with some Roach Coach type Mexican food. It's pretty darn good. Well, maybe to complete the whole saga, I should get a breakfast burrito at lunchtime because that's the proper time, the only time, right? <laughs> so say it's you. <laughs> okay, I got to ask. Maybe someone else noticed this and maybe John's trying to have a little fun here. But did you purposely in like one of the shorts or something, I could have sworn I saw like a taco or a tortilla reference or somewhere. <laughs> Did I make one? <laughs> I, was, I did. It was I completely think I watched on accident. One, That's funny. And I thought, wait a second, is John trolling me in the edits? Oh he... my gosh! <laughs> I wish I was that clever. Uh, maybe no, some viewer can go out and find I that. I, I might have to go That's check hilarious. it. <laughs> I could have sworn oh there's somewhere in some of the shorts or videos we made this week that there was like a stock footage clip of something with tortillas. <laughs> I, I mean, like, it wouldn't surprise me that that sounds that sounds like a thing that I would do, right? <laughs> uh, we're we're a very serious um, news covering business here. No laughing serial. matter. Yeah, yeah. We, we we stay right on the topic. There is no fun to be had here at all. Work, no play. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, any case, grounding us in our discussion there and getting <laughs> us to the stories here. After Acapulco, we, we went over to Sweet, and there's a restaurant there called Anderson Reserve. Really, really place to go in. Their cinnamon rolls are to die for. Oh, <laughs> we, got, we got one. They're like, they're like the size of a small pizza, like a very small nice. pizza, like nice, big. And uh, we got one because we're just like, this is so big. This looks cool, you know. And uh, me and my sister had it for breakfast. And oh, it was so <laughs> delicious. But anywho, nice. you can go there and they've got like this whole glass panel where you can look out. And they got like a water f- features and stuff and things. And you can see the mountains there. It was really cool because part of the mountains were like getting snow as we were eating. And then the mountains were clearing Ooh. so you could see it at times. It was It was awesome, you know, and all that but one of the things that was really funny is the waitress she came up and we're it's kind of got this two levels so there's the bottom bit but then you can go up in like the loft which is really nice and kind of see out over the area and over to like the north side of the building there's this big like center gravel bit and there's like a walkway that goes out to it and it looks like they're laying a bunch of sprinkler lines or something out there and i asked the lady like what's going out on out there or whatever else and she's like well, that's a helicopter pad. And I was like, what? So apparently you can sure. take a helicopter ride from the airport here in Caldwell and they'll fly you around the valley so you can see stuff from like an aerial vantage point and then drop you off there for lunch and fly you back to Caldwell. Because, you know, why Why? Why not? <laughs> why, why wouldn't you want to do that? I was like, Whoa. I mean, that's what I've always said. Is what I've all, yeah, why... Why do I have to do this car thing? Cars are lame. I would rather a helicopter. (laughs) 
Uh, but in any case, it is really cool to go up there. It was expensive, but it was tasty. Um, if you're just wanting to go for a day drive and have some really nice food and a view, it would probably be really cool to drop by there, and then you could go by Emmett. But that was kind of the day trip. I thought I'd share it with you guys because, you know, I would I have a feeling the viewer out there is someone who's interested in Idaho and all these little tidbits, and hopefully down the line we'll do some videos on them and stuff. But I think we'll uh, move on to the news stories here. Starting off our first news story here, Idaho Capital votes for fiscal prudence, a new dawn in budget reform. This comes by the Idaho Freedom Foundation by Ronald M. Nate, Ph.D. So diving into the recent developments in the Idaho Capital that could have significant implications for Idahoans grappling with inflation, taxes, and government overreach. First kind of section starting off here, budget reform. Government spending in Idaho has surged by 54% in the past four years. However, a new budget process separating base budgets from growth budgets could curb this trend, leading to lower spending and consequently lower taxes. This reform means that the legislature can vote to maintain the function of agencies without necessarily endorsing government expansion. Despite attempts by legislatures to derail this process, the House and Senate have approved the base budget without the large increases, indicating that growth budgets will now be considered separately. But with that said, it's not all been roses. Two sets of bills making their way through the House and Senate. One set followed the budget reform plans, which we just talked about, separating the base budget from line items, while the other set included all spending for each agency in one bill. After a few days of deliberation, the House voted to pass the base budget bill separately from the growth budgets, singling a preference for budget reform procedure. The Senate followed suit, voting to ratify the budget reform process. However, this week was not without its casualties. The so-called Main Street Caucus, a group of left-leaning Republicans in the House and Senate, suffered significant losses. Their attempts to hijack the budget committee were thwarted, and the House Majority Leader Megan Blanksma, a supporter of the hijack plan, was ousted from her office. In summary, this week saw a victory for fiscal responsibility with the budget reform process promising to curve government spending and waste. We commend those legislatures who stood by their principles and voted for fiscal responsibility despite the pressures they faced. Which, shameless plug before we get any further into the story, and if you haven't already gone over and seen it, I would highly recommend it. I did an interview with Nicholas Kleinworth over at the Idaho Freedom Foundation, and we talked about some of the stuff that is related in this bill, specifically the part about separating the two between bills that are just, hey, we're supporting the status quo, and hey, we want to actually expand a program and went into discussion and conversation on that, and he goes into that in more depth. So if you think that's a really cool concept, which I know me and John are probably going to talk about a little bit here, um, I would highly recommend you go over there and check out that interview because I had a really fun time doing that with him and he kind of expands on those. But with that said, definitely an interesting week with the legislature there based on this report as well and other things I'm hearing. I didn't know all the back end things going on, but I guess it makes sense. I did hear it was a really crazy week of that the Idaho Freedom Foundation and their supporters and stuff were trying to push to have this separate system, right, where it's like you can vote for the funding to still be there for, I don't know, the highway district or the police, right? Um, but that doesn't mean you have to vote to expand them, to give them more money. And they want that really separated, which I think is a great idea, mainly for the fact that there's so many times we see even at the federal level, right, that you'll kind of demonize and be like, well, you don't like the police or you don't support the army mm -hmm. or you don't support X thing, or right? Because it's some stinking giant omnibus bill that has a bunch of other things in it. 
So it's almost, I'm very glad to see that they're trying to do efforts like this. So it's much easier for both me, for the researcher, and also for you, the viewer, and the general public, right, to know, did they vote for increases or not? Which I think is a great thing. And so it sounds like, from what I've heard from people, the more left-leaning or the people that prefer to spend a little bit more, we'll put it that way, were throwing the book at trying to stop this. And it looks like it didn't work out for them, from what I'm seeing. And we'll see how the aftermath plays out. Yeah, you have to watch out for Omnibus Prime. He, uh, he'll he come and get you. Yeah, I know it's That's one of John's favorite topics. reference. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, that one did not fly over my head, ladies and gentlemen. I do know about Transformers. So, yeah, this is interesting to me. I, I, I find it kind of funny, the, the last bit, the beat down in the house, the, uh, the Main Street Caucus, left-leaning Republicans in the House and Senate suffered significant losses. Their, uh, their attempts to hijack the Budget Committee were thwarted. I, things like this make me laugh and make me want to... I don't know, make me want to think about even running for office just to be in the room when these things happen and be a part of it so I can point and laugh. Right. Like, <laughs> this stuff is ridiculous. It it, it makes me think or this, this attempt to thwart things by left-leaning Republicans makes me think about the push for open primaries by Democrats <laughs> in the state of Idaho. <laughs> because this is clearly a group of I mean, it says left-leaning Republicans, but what is a left-leaning Republican? Well, that's a Democrat. I also I like that we're talking about separating base budgets into line items. I think that's a good idea. I think that would be great. Yes, that means that our our representatives would have more things to vote on, but also that... Makes it more transparent. It makes it way more transparent. And also, then if you have people clamoring for i don't know defund the police you can actually bring up something and be like all right we're defunding the police here you go here's the thing that you asked for or right maybe not maybe not that one specifically but with with other such items it, it makes sense to me transparency is always a good thing you brought up you brought up the you know omnibus prime uh, <laughs> and and i think that is one of the problems that our at least federal government has i, I don't know how much how much our state legislature has to deal with omnibus packages and and pork in bills? I, I would hope they don't have to, because I I would hope that that's not a thing that our local politicians would want to deal with. I mean, on that here again, I as best as I've understood it and seen it and watching stuff over last year's legislature and this one, there aren't a lot of stuff that are pork wise. The budget bills are the one thing which I'm glad to see that there's kind of some efforts trying to streamline those and make it more transparent because money stuff is so complex. It's so confusing. There again, shameless plug for the interview with Nicholas Kleinworth. And so anything we can try to do to make that process more understandable for the common person to then keep the representative accountable, I think is a great thing. Uh, but the one thing that I feel like is that rears its head a lot more at the local state level and sometimes a lot at the county level is things getting lost in committees where, oh, cool, it passed the House and then it gets lost in some committee for the Senate. Or it got it passed the Senate and then it got lost in a committee for the House or something where committees a lot of times can be those places where things bog down 
and get lost and stuff. Not to say I'm against committees. If someone's going to go clip this out or something like that, I'm not saying that at all. They, they have their place. Yeah, that was something I was I, I thought was interesting with your conversation with Nicholas was was when he talked about that, that there are bills that just get they they get drawered and, and you never hear never hear from again. And sometimes I, I want to believe it's an honest mistake and somebody passes it. It comes to the committee. Committee talks about it. It gets tabled and then just other stuff takes up the rest of their time and they never get back to it. That's that's my that's my hope with some of these things. The reality, I think, is that. A lot of bills that would actually change things end up getting drawered. Purposefully. Yeah. They're intentionally, accidentally put away. Right. Which, but there again, shameless encouragement for everyone out there, and I have no doubt probably the person listening to this is doing this, but if you're not, this is another example I would highly encourage you. You don't need to keep up with it all. You know, you can listen to here. Uh, you can listen to the Idaho Freedom Foundation. There's a couple, other couple really great resources out there. But at least just be involved with your representative. That if there's a bill that you see that we talk about on here or you read about and you're really passionate that you want it to keep moving, just regularly send them an email and be like, hey, how's it going with that bill? Because either if you're showing that persistence, that you're wanting that and you're interested in that and showing that public support – a lot of times senators or our representatives, they'll go and be like, hey, what's going on with this? I'm getting people asking, where is it at? And it makes it a lot harder to table or mothball bills. Yeah. But any case, some good stuff. Very glad to hear it. Like we said, commendable to those legislatures that stood with what they believed on, right? That ran on that we can't be spending like crazy. We need to be responsible adults with our money and we need to be transparent with our constituents. So glad on you. It sounds like it's been a crazy week there. And now you get to reap the rewards of that, hopefully, and us as Idahoans as a whole with some more, hopefully, transparent and responsible spending. Now, speaking of a thing that usually is not quite as transparent and doesn't spend money quite as well, healthcare in Idaho, the debate over Medicare reform. This comes by the Coeur d'Alene slash Post Falls Press by Kyle Fannensteel slash Idaho Capital Sun. In a recent development in Idaho's legislative landscape, a complex Medicaid reform bill, House Bill 419, has been held in committee. The decision came after doctors and other stakeholders voiced concerns that the bill could potentially repeal Medicare expansion. The bill, which includes 11 new requirements, proposed new work stipulations, and a ban on Medicaid covering gender-affirming care for adults. Policies that Governor Brad Little has previously supported. The bill's sponsor, Representative Jordan Redman, argued that the legislation was designed to strengthen Medicaid by ensuring that those most in need maintain access to care. He suggested that the new regulations could help combat abuse and fraud in the program, improve the state's budget, and prevent wait lists for care. However, several of the nearly three dozen people who testified to the committee countered that the bill seemed like a convoluted way to repeal Medicaid expansion. The bill is part of a broader push by Idaho Republicans to cut Medicaid costs, a $4.6 billion program funded mostly by the federal government. 
Redmond's bill follows up on the work by interim committee last year that was tasked with the finding ways to save money in Medicaid. However, the committee did not come to a conclusion about how to restructure Medicaid funding. The bill's fiscal notes estimate it could save the state up to $109 million. However, if the bill's requirements are not met by July 1st, 2025, the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare would be required to repeal expansion by October of 2025. The bill would have also required agencies to try to cap enrollment in Medicaid expansion, either at 50,000 people or at the total number of adults on Medicaid who were disabled or at age 65 and up. This story underscores the ongoing debate over health care reform in Idaho and the potential impact on the state's most vulnerable citizens. Which, it's the hot-button topic that we all love to talk about, the medical industry, Medicaid, and insurance. The first one, I guess, the point here that longtime viewers will know we're going to highlight is uh, Medicaid covering gender-affirming care for adults, which I would argue there's a lot of people in Idaho that wouldn't want their tax dollars to go to that. Granted, in all fairness, a lot of our funding comes from the federal government, so we might not be spending for most of our Medicaid, but we should still spend the money we get from the federal government responsibly. Governor Lil's position on that is supportive of it, which is another thing to be aware of for future elections. Wink, wink. But anything we can do to kind of decrease it, it's sad to hear that this seems to have been slightly mothballed. It's being held in committee, so it's not completely out of the pale, but that also means it looks like it hasn't been voted on. Yeah, this is an interesting one. As someone who's used Medicaid in the past, uh, our second daughter was born on Medicaid and we've been on it at, you know, here and there at times before. I want there to be a safety net for people who need it. At the same time, healthcare is not a human right. You don't have a right to healthcare. Rights are things that that are endowed by a creator. Right. You have a right to speak. You have a right to protect yourself. You have a right to to pursue happiness to the best of your ability. You don't have a right to have someone else do something to or for you. I don't have the right to walk into someone else's store, take their things and leave because, well, it makes me happy. You don't have a right to walk into a doctor's office and say, Doc, I got shot. You need to take this bullet out of me. Now, hopefully the doctor seeing a gunshot, a gunshot victim would go, wow, I need to help this guy. I took the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. I want to help him. I will help him to the best of my ability. But once you, once you get past that point and say, all right, so how is this being paid for? And the guy's like, well, I got no money. Well, now, now we have a problem because dude just, dude just took a lot of money and, and didn't he he stole he stole the doctor's time now i i i can hear what a lot of people say is well but doctors have a lot of money they should they should be able to give back to the community and well as true as that may or may not be while doctors do make money they don't make that much money especially nowadays to be able to right to be able to always just give all of their money away and so you know long long way around the bush here I, I think it's good that we would cut back on Medicaid expenses. Also, looking at Idaho's budget, the the two biggest line items that we have are education and Medicaid mm-hmm. or uh, health insurance, I guess, Medicare and Medicaid. And so 
if we want to reduce our budget, you you mentioned it earlier. If you if we want to reduce our our reliance on the federal dollar, then this is one of the biggest things that we can do is cut Medicaid programs. And it sucks for people that are on it. I get it. I've been there. But that should be impetus to get out of that position and get out of that situation. Right. And to adapt that system that, you know, there again, markets, they get used to it. If you sit there in the government, right, in the bottom level of people like, well, I can always get Medicaid, right? Well, what does that happen to other either good or bad insurers, right, that would have otherwise been there? Those low-level people that help those, right, that are in need at that level. Yep. What what's the role of the church then? I would argue for a long time in America that was the role of the church, and also that's why you saw a lot of hospitals and doctors, right, that were funded or um, different clinics, right, from gospel professionals. Granted, I can hear people, you know, religion and stuff, but hey, in this case, I can say, don't worry about separation, church and state. We're talking about the free market, baby, because. Um, I would argue that that's where the church excels in that. You're like, well, what about the needy people? Well, the church. <laughs> that I would argue that is that is the, that is both the role it should play, and even if you're a person who's a skeptic that's not religious, if we go back in history when the church has played that role in society, I would argue um, society functions a lot better when the state is not the main medical provider or takes care of the needy. The needy are for the church. But anyway, getting off my yeah. church soapbox there. Um, going back to funding stuff, let's just think, let's just look at this and say, okay, yeah, we have four point six billion of it, uh, that we're putting into the Medicaid program, and like John pointed out, it's one of our bigger things, and we've talked about it a couple times here on the show um, that we're spending as a state. And also, I would argue for anyone else there that is a conservative, we want to be off <laughs> the ropes and change of the federal government. We want to be able to pass laws that we believe that are just and right and not to have some person or bureaucrat in D.C. telling us, no, you can't do that because the global world order doesn't like it. Um, and so part of that is really making us financially free of that. And one of those biggest things is the Medicaid program. Now, then giving that double side, say we have all that money that we freed up and maybe you say, OK, we, but it's free money. We should still take it. OK, maybe you can make a case for that for Four point six billion. Imagine all the road upgrades we could do in the state. Everything like that that we're always complaining right about traffic and things. All mm-hmm. that that could be diverted there. Um, maybe all the people I don't agree with it that are whining about public schools. Right, you could put it there. Right, um, or even better, above all those other options and the most conservative of them. What if that four point six billion or whatever percentage of that comes from the Idahoan went back in your pocket? that then you could spend on your own insurance or that you can invest in nonprofits that then could offer medical care to people that are in need that could spend it way more wisely than the government. So any, anyway, mm-hmm. I, with those things said and me and John both getting off the pulpit, right? Um, I did go and look it up real quick. Um, it was voted in the welfare committee, a vote of eight to five to hold the bill in committee there, which, for all intents and purposes, I think has effect, uh, effectively shelved it. Um, we'll see if anything comes of it. Here again, the legislative session, I think we still have a little bit. Eh, I think we go into March, maybe March, maybe April. I can't remember when we end. 
So there's still time. It could get rewritten and brought out again. And there again, call your senator, call your House representative in this case, right? This is something that you passionately want or passionately don't want. That's also an option. Please, please let them know because these are examples of situations where um, you should be involved in that discussion. And it has a huge effect in shaping things that I think shape a lot of us that you're like, well, I'm not old. What does Medicaid do after me? Or I'm not poor. Well, no, that money and how the state allocates it affects industries. It affects the local economy of our entire state and the profitability of it. So there again, little plug, go uh, <laughs> talk to your representative and also just be aware that stuff like this is trying to be moved. And also here again, I, I would like to point this out um, that Governor Little has previously supported stuff like this. Now, we all make mistakes, right? Previously could mean that he's had a change. Maybe he has, but um, I think from past things personally, uh, Mr. Little likes to put his uh, finger up in there and test which way the wind is going. So I guess for those out there, you might want to be aware of that with our wonderful governor at the moment. Hey there, since you made it to this, you probably enjoy the show. And that probably means you want to keep up with all things I know. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button or the follow button on YouTube, Rumble, or Twitter. That way you don't miss out on any of our future content about Idaho. Not to mention, if you found our content valuable and think it might benefit others, please like and share it. We have short clips from the show on our YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter accounts. Also, for our audio-only listeners, please rate the show and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us out a ton to improve the channel as a whole. Thank you for your support and for being part of the local Yokel Idaho community. Together, we can hopefully keep Idaho informed, engaged, and involved in this wonderful state. Now, let's dive back into the show. And next up, we have Idaho's DEI spending in universities nearly triples, and it sparks debate. This comes from the Idaho Freedom Foundation by Anna Miller and Scott Yaner. In a revealing analysis by the Idaho Freedom Foundation, Idaho's public university system has seen a dramatic increase in spending on diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, administrators. The report, authored by Anna Miller and Scott Yaner, highlights a surge from approximately $2.2 million in 2022 to nearly $6 million in just two years. This near tripling of DEI administrative costs has sparked a conversation about DEI initiatives' role and financial impact within Idaho's higher education institutions. DEI, criticized as a diverse ideology, categorizes individuals based on immutable characteristics, creating a binary of oppressed and oppressor groups. The report argues that such practices not only divide, but also detract from the educational mission of these institutions. The investigation found that Idaho's four public universities employ 75 administrators dedicated to DEI, with strategic plans and offices specifically focused on these initiatives. Despite legislative efforts to curb the expansion of DEI and social justice ideologies in higher education, universities have reportedly accelerated their DEI efforts, often in defiance of legislative directives. This has led to a complex situation where university officials publicly deny a DEI mission while simultaneously expanding DEI infrastructure. Boise State University stands out as the leading DEI institution in the state, with a vice provost for inclusion and belonging who commands a six-figure salary. BSU's DEI staff, the largest among Idaho's universities, 
plays a significant role in university operations, influencing hiring policies, student recruitment, and offering an increased number of DEI-related training and events. The University of Idaho has also made significant commitments to DEI, establishing a Council of Diversity and Inclusion and dedicating substantial resources to implementing its DEI mission. U of I's chief diversity officer is the highest paid DEI administrator in the state, earning a six-figure salary. The report suggests that while currently optional, DEI training may become mandatory as DEI infrastructure matures. In contrast, Idaho State University and Lewis-Clark State College are at different stages of DEI development, with ISU having a smaller DEI presence and LCSC just beginning to build its DEI infrastructure. The report concludes that strong legislative action is necessary to redirect universities toward their core educational missions and away from discriminatory DEI efforts. This comprehensive analysis raises critical questions about DEI initiatives' costs, impact, and future direction in Idaho's public universities. Which it makes me laugh that we think that we can change the way our universities are headed through legislation, when clearly the legislation that we've already passed to try and curb where they're going hasn't worked. Just an observation. Right. And I think that really comes to the nature of, well, the nature of the institutions, right? If the nature of that institution is that it is filled with people that truly want to educate, and part of educating is putting forth the truth and helping you to think and to discover the truth, right? There's some schools that I think do a great job of teaching truth, but I think the best schools get both of those marks, right? Um, But then we're seeing this where I would argue the bones of a lot of these universities, and here again, I am not in the... I have friends that are in higher academia. We'll put it that way. Um, I had that path open to me. I did not take it. Um, But I do not begin to understand quite why this has just gripped the academia so bad. But these very far left-leaning ideologies have just seemed to entrench themselves, even in people that I've met that are very, very, very smart. And if you sit them down and you're talking about like – I don't know, a debate about which system you should use for a rocket, right? Should you use a closed flow state combustion chamber or an open one? Or if you're sitting there and you're talking about history with them, right? They can go on and on and on and on, right? Um, But you start getting into stuff like this. The socialists are like, nope, nope, my body, my choice. Um, There is a hierarchy of the oppressed and the oppressor groups, right? Um. And you kind of just see that oozing out here that, yes, there's laws that have been told to stop them, but they are going to still act on their beliefs, which, coming full circle, I think that's a lesson that both we as conservatives and anyone in our life, right, take the good with the bad, should learn that you should act on what you truly believe and vice versa. Same here with these institutions. We should push back at them and say, no. I'm you're you're acting with conviction yes but we have you have followed the letter of the law not the spirit of the law here. Yeah, you talk about why it is that intelligent people fall prey to socialist ideological thinking. And I think one of the reasons that people do that is that they've been entrenched in that ideology from people that they respect, their their teachers, their professors, their classmates, the presidents of their universities, these people who are, they are, they are respectable people in respectable positions. These people are saying those things. 
And so it's really easy to start listening to those people and saying, well, those are the smart people that know things. I guess I guess they're right. Appeal to authority. And then on top of that, it becomes an almost religious thing. And and for some people, I would say almost religious. For a lot of people, I would say it is their religion. We as humans have an innate desire for religion. We have a need for God. Whatever that God is, we have a need for there to be a higher power in our lives, something to believe in, something to hold on to. And as everything else in our society seems to crumble away that people used to use as their God, you had actual religion that people had. That was a God. You had drug, sex, and and rock and roll. That was a God. Well, all of these things are being stripped away. And young people are left with very few answers, I think, these days. One of them is the hyper-left, hyper-sexualized ideas, and DEI is just another part of that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you're you're totally on that. And I think one of the things, you know, hate them or love them, that I enjoy listening to, and I think it's a really great point that I first heard articulated by uh, Jordan Peterson on this, is that the left does a really, really good job and always has of both giving you a community and putting forward a vision. And that is very powerful yeah. in the world that we exist today where on a whole, the culture is crumbling at times, right? And so you don't have that community. The family's falling apart. The state's falling apart, right? Um, which we can get into the reasons of where along the chain it started the falling apart, right? And then the left comes in and says, hey, you know, you think we're crazy, but hey, we've got a vision of what should happen. And we have a community of people and we will irrationally <laughs> protect you. And I can see where that has a certain level of appeal, especially in the day we exist. And so we, we that stand on what is right and say, and hopefully share with other people what is wrong, we need to come up with a robust definition of a vision and that community. I would argue for us on the right and conservatives That should be rallying and making our communal foundation the church and the nuclear family and having robust family and robust church lives. And then on that vision, not squabbling and bickering over the minor new minute details and sitting down there and saying, we have a vision of X country, right? Is it going to be everything that everyone wants? No, no, it's not. But have that vision and move forward with it. The left has done that. And if we can't put a vision forward, we can't even do our job at counterbalancing the opposition. And you kind of see that there again in the cultural element with these schools if we're going full circle. In any case, kind of getting off our soapboxes there, DEI has its things. I think generally as a culture, as we've kind of both gone over, we need to present a vision and have that community for people. And right now that is being provided more by DI. And so you see it creeping in because we as humans need that more than anything. We need the gospel, but in this situation, I think this shows, I guess kind of sympathize or try to get in the mind of why they're fighting so hard for it when it's such, I would argue a very divisive thing, but in any case, something to be aware of, especially if you're a person of any means that's listening, that is donating to colleges and stuff, you may want to start voting maybe a little bit with your funds. Now you might say, is there any college I can do that with? Uh, there is actually one up in northern Idaho. It's up there in Moscow. I cannot remember the name of it, but it is more of a classical 
um, type of college that teaches up there. So that might be something to look to send your money towards or if you were thinking of or voting with your dollar, vice versa, all those things. But definitely something to be aware of and I wanted to share with you all. Now, coming to our last story and our fun story, especially after that last one where we kind of have a bit of a punching bag slash frustrating venting moment about the culture, the art of hair. How an Idaho woman is reviving a lost tradition. This comes with the East Idaho News by our friend Rhett Nelson. So, for our final interesting, or in this case, weird story, we're diving into the weird world of hair artistry. Meet Zen Hansen, a 41-year-old Rigby woman who has turned her fascination with hair into a thriving business. Zen is the proud owner of Hair Anthropology, a business that crafts bracelets, rings, and other keepsakes out of human hair. These pieces serve as a sentimental mementos for clients, often to remember a loved one who's passed away or to cherish someone still alive. Zen's journey into hair artistry began in January of 2023. Yeah, welcome to COVID times. Since then, she has been deeply exploring the historical and contemporary uses of hair, from the art and religious relics to ropes and fertilizers. Zen has been looking through the many ways hair has been utilized throughout history and how it can be used to solve world problems today. Zen's interest in hair is deeply personal. She has a condition called trichotillia mania, a uncontrollable urge to pull hair from one's scalps, eyebrow, or other parts of their body. Sorry if I got the condition wrong. That's a big word. Her art has become a therapeutic outlet for her, allowing her to work with her hair without pulling out her own. Zen has created hair art and teaches others how to craft their own. She's even planning to visit Sweden, where the art of hair work has never died out, and is writing an instructional book about table hair braiding. Zen's ultimate goal is to educate people about the different uses of hair, from compost and fertilizer to oil absorption and strengthening structures. Zen believes hair is a material with untapped potential. To learn more about Zen and her work, you can email her at zen at hairanthropology.com or visit her website and Instagram page. Which, definitely, I have to say, I think so far, this takes the cake in the category of weird that I've talked about in the show. I didn't think I would ever be talking about here when I talked about Idaho. I mean, I guess it makes some sense. Our body gives us these, like, natural threads we can use. But on the flip side, I had no idea there was a condition like this. I didn't know that was a condition. I I mean, I didn't know there's a lot of things that are actually conditions, but that's that's cool that she found that she's found a way to deal with that and not pull her own hair out. <laughs> no, this sounds this sounds awesome. I can see people wanting to have jewelry and trinkets and other such <laughs> other such keepsakes because, yeah, you want to hold on to a, a part of your a physical loved ones. part of like a human. You, you want something to help you remember. So yeah, if there's other stuff you can do with it, then, then sure. I know. Oh, actually. All right. Here's one that we used to do. So we gardened where I grew up in Michigan. We had a big old garden and we had a problem with moles. And what we learned at some point is that moles hate human hair. What? Because human hair is, yeah, it's human hair is greasy and it's oily. And if the mole gets that hair stuck on their whiskers and nose and stuff, they have a really hard time getting it off. So they hate human hair. So if you have a mole problem, next time you get your hair cut, I guess if you go to the barbershop, it might be a little awkward. But Can I have right? that, please? Yeah. <laughs> I want to keep my hair, um, but gather up your hair and then shove it down into their mole hills and they'll leave because they hate it. 
Everyone is writing this down, John. You have given us such yeah, wisdom. Yeah. But anyway, so that's that's a use that I know of is uh, moles. If you have a mole problem, then shove hair down into those holes and those moles will just go away because they hate it. Or at least the moles in Michigan. I, huh. I assume it's a thing. It's not just a regional <laughs> thing. Like Michi- Michigan moles hate it. But, right. But, you know, Western moles are like, ah, oh, I love human hair. <laughs> Yeah, the moles in Milwaukee are like, yeah, I can't stand that human hair. Then the mole on the coast is like, ah, I love, love it. That it's amazing. You're like, what are you? We're not even American. How exactly. are we going to say mole? Yeah, and uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> know if moles are that regional. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But um, no, I mean, coming back to this and like jewelry and hair and stuff and weird things, especially in jewelry, I um, the level of interesting things people will like can turn into rings. I don't know if you've seen some of those videos and stuff. Or like I saw one where a guy, how would I put it? He, he put like coffee grounds in a ring type huh. of thing. We got all polished and resined and stuff. And so you could like see the flakes and everything in a thing. And it was in the ring. Or I knew another guy that he made rings and stuff. I think it was like some insect or something that like uh, he, he had some person or client that really liked bugs. And so he was able to like inlay some of like the legs or something in there. That that is definitely weird as well. But okay, um, I don't know how you do all that. But it's apparently you can put so many different things in like a ring or a bracelet or anything. I these can't things. say I knew putting bugs in a ring was a thing, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> That's. I think it was for a biologist. Okay, all all defense. Oh, it was like their favorite. You type know, of no bug or no something. judgment there. If you really like a bug, then cool. I, people have weird collections of things all over the place. So you know, if you if you like weird bugs, then then go for it. But uh, that that's cool. No, I have I have not uh, frequented the uh, weird jewelry section of TikTok. Um, <laughs> Don't have a TikTok account. It's just it seems to show I, up. I must. I don't know what I do either right or wrong with my social media profiles, but either it's working or it's not, depending on if I want bug uh, jewelry in my TikTok account. Well, I guess bringing it back down to earth a little bit, if you could put something in a ring. That wouldn't be traditional. I mean, you obviously have gold and silver and stuff and stuff. Uh, stuff and stuff. Stuff-wise, um, and, and things. things. Stuff and stuff. It sounds like a Winnie <laughs> the Pooh statement. I got my stuff in my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you put in a ring or like uh, an amulet or something? I, dude, I don't even know. Like, I don't. I don't wear jewelry these days. Um, so what would I? Okay, and that would I sense, give like my maybe a, a necklace or a necklace or something that you have like to hang on it. Then again, you don't wear very much in the way of any appendages. It is like the most bare bones. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like something that looks cool, I guess. But that's that's all I got. I I don't know. <laughs> I I am uh, I am so not well versed in this area. I I can't even I can't even give it a guess. I mean, I, all right. So let's see. Google search this and see. I mean, while you're looking for that, the. The thing I could think of that I would like, and for people that know me, and if I haven't mentioned it already on the show, I think it would be cool to have a ring that uh, had, like, tea, like, tea grounds, like, going with the coffee theme. I really like tea. That is a cool idea. It'd be cool to see what – it would be cool to see, like, tea leaves of, like, a different pipe because they usually are a certain pattern and see what that would look like inside the ring. And it could be, like, your favorite tea or something. 
that sounds cool to me in a sense or uh I don't I think it's safe to handle but there's like this very specific material that was created at like the Nevada testing sites when they set off some of the bombs and stuff and it'd be cool to get like a ring or something made out of it and it has certain really unique properties but it's only like it's only there in like Nevada because the Russians they set their bombs off in like the tundra so there wasn't a lot of stuff turned to glass I thought that would be cool you know to have that little piece of history to be like you know it's 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 an it's it's an American ore it only occurs in America type of thing yeah, I don't know. So I'm, you know, I did a uh, weird jewelry Google search, came up with all kinds of things. Oh no! Uh, little little toilet paper bead rolls that you can wear as a necklace. What? Um, there's a little bird head that is holding a pearl. That's interesting. Uh, there's a now we're going really. There's wacky, a shrimp and that somebody turned into an earring. Uh huh. So you can wear a shrimp as an as oh, it's a necklace. I'm sorry. I don't know what it was with people and animals. Like, I understand wearing a fur, you know what I mean? Or, like, you know, you have a pin that's in the, the style of a bird. It's not an actual bird or something. Well, I here's get a, that. Here's, but, like, oh, yeah, I want to wear an yeah, insect uh, or a, fe- a sh- uh, an ocean animal. Yeah. Uh, you know, shrimp is bugs. Um, then here's a, a, a Yoda ring that has Yoda's head that's just, like, popping out of the ring. So there's that. Uh, there's a guy in a, a wheelchair holding a, uh, an AR-15 made out of white gold and diamonds. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. <laughs> there's there's America. a set of Bob Ross earrings with the with the fro. Uh, yeah. So what what would I what would I want as as jewelry? Um, now nah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I'm good. I, I don't I don't need. I don't need normal jewelry, but I also don't really need weird jewelry. I'm kind of lame like that. I'm, I am boring. Right. I mean, there are other ways that you are deeply fascinating, and you bring many of those to the podcast with all your cultural references, which I desperately <laughs> need because I lack them you majorly. You cultured swine. <laughs> uh, which, yes, that's a movie quote, I mean, by the if, way. If, if, if culture was knowing that uh, the reason that signet rings existed and why we should bring them back is a cu- means I'm cultured, then maybe I am. But if it's not, then I, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm lost. Uh, I'm lost. I'll just go drink my tea with my yep, tea ring. You got nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. If you can't quote every part of Lord of the Rings verbatim, you are not cultured. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I, I am not cultured at all. I can't go. I can't go that far. <laughs> Although I can tell you odd amounts of random trivia about it. So, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm more cultured than I let on. It is a possibility. You do more know more pop culture than I do. Yeah, but I don't know if I would go so far as to say pop culture is culture. It's in the general category of culture. Now, I mean, I guess be, it's in the uh, title, but <laughs> but that's about it. Now it, it it could be you know twice removed culture. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it's whose culture? Whose culture is it? <laughs> right. Or the example of that, I truly believe the definition of modern art should not be in the category of art. That is not <laughs> as much as I am not that big of an art person. I could stand on this that I, I don't. I generally am not a big art person, but that. Can if that is art, I well, it's kind of like so. My my sister in law was in uh, music school for a long time, 
And so she came to the conclusion while doing like modern music theory classes where it would be, we are going to listen to this song by someone who is, who is, who created an entire album of the sound of silence and not the Simon and Garfunkel song, which is awesome. No, no, just silence. That's just music is about making air molecules. Yeah, at least no, move that's some. not what it was. And so she she came to the definition of all right. So music is something that a child will dance to. And I heard that and I went, hmm. you know what? I can get down with that definition of music because we're not saying my yeah. child. We're just saying a child will dance to to music. So. Whatever music you can come up with, if a child will dance to it, then it's music. If it's silence, child's aren't, child is not dancing to silence unless he's then dancing to the song that's in his head, which is not. If you have silence plus child does exactly. not equal dance. So I feel like it's, there's probably a great definition <laughs> like that for art as well, and it would exclude a lot of modern art. Oh, here's another earring. Uh, it's a right. half-eaten chicken nugget. It's, it's been dipped in barbecue sauce. John, I, I didn't oh, need ranch, to know. Oh, ranch bottle uh, or Lay's potato chips. Ah, yeah, ah, yeah. Well, the potato chips are nice, but the uh-huh. ranch, yeah. Um, here's one that's a, a cuttlefish coming through someone's ear. That's kind of cool, actually. Stop no, that one's, I'm, I'm actually, that one's kind of cool. So if you've gauged your ear, you can you can have an earring that's a fish coming through your ear. I can get down with that one. That's kind of cool. Here's a here's a fried egg that, it, that someone is wearing as a pendant. Okay. A, okay. a beer bottle. Okay. As an earring. Welcome. <laughs> Man, as a, uh, I, I, uh, uh huh. You're really dedicated to the bottle there. Uh huh. There you go. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, before any more insanity happens, let's close us out here. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. If we missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to us via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting me at localyokelidaho. With the small team we have, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now. I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed. <laughs>